The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace, you can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi. Hi, everyone. Good day, good afternoon, good evening. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I'm your host on this, our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak, the visual workplace welcome. Welcome. I'm really glad to be talking to you again. I've had such an amazing week. It's been so interesting. Of course, our outlook went out, and that created a lot of stress around the office. But nevertheless, in between and over and above that, some very interesting um, opportunities and insights have occurred to me related to visuality. Letting the workplace speak. So in this show, in this particular show, we may finish up our conversation about borders, the exploration and exaltation of borders, as I wrote on the um, announcement for today. But I want to talk about some other things first to set things up. And I have a couple of announcements. Let me get rid of the announcements right away because this other is going to take us on a little bit of a riff and we have some goals to accomplish today. If we don't get them done today, we will get them done next week. So the announcements. The announcements have to do with two seminars and site assessments, visual site assessments, factory assessments that are open to the public that I'm doing in May, the end of May in the U.K., uh, I'm doing one set, May the 23rd and 24th, and another set, May the 28th and 29th. And that announcement's going to be up on our website probably by tomorrow morning so that you can check it out. Um, these are the our flagship seminar where I talk about the model of visual thinking, information deficits, and kind of introduce the paradigm, the logic of workplace visuality. And then we, the next day, go into a plant and assess it based on the kind of assessment criteria that I've discussed with you and we had as an encore as an encore show about three weeks ago. So that will be very interesting. We're doing two rounds of it. So you have an opportunity. And I know some folks are coming over from um, Holland and a couple from France and then folks in the UK. And I hope you can join us. It should be very interesting. I'm very, very happy to do that in the United States, either for your plant or as a public seminar. But I have to tell you truthfully, for the past eight or nine months, I've been very occupied on the work we've been doing with visual guarantees and pokeokes for biomedical and also a visual workplace operator-led visuality rollout that we've been doing in the textile industry. 
an industry that is known for its lack of recognition of what the human resource can contribute to the bottom line. But this particular organization is very, very different. And if we have an opportunity, we will interview them and you'll get to see why it's so important. The other event I want to, two other events I want to mention to you. One is that I'm doing um, my first public visual leadership workshop in many years at the University of Buckingham, again in the UK, in England, on July 10th, and then a, a, a breakout session at one of their conferences the next day. Um, but this is hands-on, and it is the, also the work that I've been doing over the past year and the subject of my new book, The Eye of the Leader, meaning the identity of the leader. And that is structuring in leadership behavior through visual constructs. So that's on July the 10th and the 11th. I, we will also be doing a training of trainers in work that makes sense sometime in September. And as our host will be a very famous winery, which I'm not quite yet at privilege to tell you, a winery uh, will be hosting it in Napa Valley. So we'll be in San Francisco in September, and that should be also quite excellent and um we will be sending out an announcement first to the folks who are on our mailing list for training of trainers and then to the general public. I haven't done one of these in a couple of years, but I'm looking forward to it. It's always very interesting to work with people who are actually going to be doing it and who want to know the nitty and the gritty. So so now I'm going to go into a little bit of riff about what I, some of the things that have reoccurred to me. I was having a conversation the other day about what makes the work that I've been doing and the logic I've been finding a little bit different than uh, other people's approach to visuality or the visual workplace or visual devices. And if I were to say it on perhaps the broadest level, and I think there's one level above that that I may talk to you about someday, but on a very, very broad level, What we are doing in visuality, including with borders, as I hope to demonstrate to you again today, is we're embedding performance. We are embedding the requirements of doing work and the work itself into the living landscape of work, into the work environment, into the floor, the benches, the tools, the machines, if you're in the hospital, into the carts, into the walls, onto the walls into the physical environment so that the physical environment becomes our partner and, in a very real way, our um, supervisor because we have made it so, because we have designed that supervisory capability, that feedback loop that we get from our human supervisors into the physical landscape of work. But the result of that is very interesting. I talk to leaders about the 15 to 30% increase in throughput that visuality will and has triggered. We always see a 15%. We often, more and more often, see a 30%. And that 15%, by the way, is in environments that are already, have already gone to lean or are still machine driven. Right, master machines, but we can we will still see a traceable, measurable 15% increase in productivity, and 
in many environments, 30. I told you about the 34% that a, a, an affiliate of ours, Brian Leviton, achieved in Australia in an engineering department where they used interruptions as motion, other people interrupting them. They had a 30% increase in productivity by attacking information deficits in that way through visuality. Another, I just heard about this from another one of our affiliates the other day, had a 54% increase. I have to pick up more about that. All of that is very good. It goes to the profit, right? It goes to the bottom line. There are other things you have to do on a macro level, which one of these days we'll talk about again. I mentioned it a couple of years ago. So visuality exists on a micro level because it is dealing with information and information detail. Okay? So you get that business benefit. The byproduct of that is a quantum that many people seek as a primary output, a primary outcome, and that is cultural alignment. But I focus on the embedded behavior for business results, and when that happens, you also get this tremendous realignment of the culture. But when I look at it more closely, what I have come to realize and what I take great joy in is that what's really happening is that combined effect creates a shift in identity. A shift in identity of the person who is in that work environment and to a great extent has redesigned it based on their own personal information deficits, their own personal motion. I didn't know this was going to happen 30 years ago when I started to be drawn into the visual workplace as a field of study. But I see it now and I attest to it and I stand firmly, put my whole reputation on the line because this is what happens. Identity shifts. And anything you can do to get the identity to shift into a more progressive, if you will, improvement-oriented, human-oriented, positive-oriented framework, you've done mighty work. And visuality does this, and it does this because we are both working on the level of language, of conceptualization, of meaning, and behavior, and behavior, and behavior that's victorious, behavior that is positive in the right direction, that is conforming to what is supposed to happen. And this shift in identity, I think, is the very, very um, beautiful and splendid output that visuality can create. I have seen similar results, but not on the scale. I've seen similar results with lean and all of the improvement efforts that have been going on for the last 25 or 30 years. But with visuality, it can really be structured in. And in that structure, there is freedom. There is freedom for the person. That's why I'm calling my new book, The Eye of the Leader. How do we liberate our leaders so that they can both be powerful, flexible, appropriate, effective? Hmm? And I'm discovering that visuality is the answer there as well. So I wanted to mention that because in talking about the visual wearer where we are now, it's pretty, you know, it's down to borders and addresses and ID labels. And I don't want us to miss the bigger picture, the implications, or more importantly, the impact 
of what happens when the visual wear is in place and the kind of margin that that creates in people who work in an otherwise chaotic environment. When we create margin on the inside of people, they then have room to shift. And they have room to shift into what they consider a better version of themselves. They consider they have a chance to experience themselves in a way that they want to be. They want to be. They want to be a bigger person. They want to be more skilled, more flexible, more tolerant. This whole shift to positive outcomes, it's part of our nature. So that we relax, we can feel our breath, we feel space in our day, we feel space inside of us. So visuality is a tremendous business benefit and you get as the kind of uh, whipped cream and cherry on top, this shift in the eye, the shift in the identity and tremendous cultural alignment. Pretty much in that order. Pretty much in that. You can't, it's really hard to work on culture directly. It's the mechanisms and it's the constructs that allow culture to shift. All right, so that's what I wanted to say. And now I'm going to be able to begin before we go into our first break, our discussion today our continuing exploration and exaltation of borders, the power of borders. I want to first complete last week's agenda and give you some examples of the double border function because we were talking last week about adding dimensions of meaning, making our borders smarter as we got smarter so that borders could extend control and reveal work, adding dimensions of meaning. We can get very, we can get very clever about borders. We can even use them, as I'm going to demonstrate today, I hope, to build time into the process. They're not lines. They're not, geomet- they're not geometric coordinates. They are function, performance function. That's what borders are, and that's why I call them borders and not lines. So I'm going to talk to you about that today, and then we're going to move into color coding. I'll say a little bit about color coding in general, but I want to focus on color coded color-coded borders because there's a lot of misunderstanding about it and there are some pretty serious mistakes and with that I'll also talk about double-colored striping or double-colored tape because there's a few things that you ought to know about that and then to the extent that we have time I'll move through a step-by-step process for developing a color-coded system one that I've been I developed a number of years ago and that I've been using for years and it works really, really well. So that even if you have a color code system, you can vet it, you can validate it, or you can improve it. So we'll start talking about that <clears throat> as soon as we get back from after this, our first break. And I'll see you in just a minute. business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. 
keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Yes, indeed. Send a an email to Visual Workplace, no, to radio at visualworkplace.com. We love hearing from you. Got an email from my friend Brenton down in Australia, and he was saying how actually he had some, some of his best friends were also boarders, and we had a good laugh about that. Welcome to the second section of our show. We are talking about boarders again today. And we're going to move into the double border function, something that I didn't get a chance to um, describe for you last week. The double border function is a demonstration for me. It's a demonstration of how powerful borders can be and how innovative. Now, I believe that I told you several, several uh, months ago when we were talking, when we were talking about smart placement about the first time I experienced the double border function application. I was at Fleet Engineers, a small um, welding and um, welding and welding company in uh, in Flint, Michigan, and the guys in the FB27 cell had gone through the visual wear, had laid down a beautiful pattern of work, in doing that, they discovered that the forklift driver used to come in and out just to move one heavy bin of welded material to another station was no longer, no longer needed to help them move those because they, once they put the, the border down, the border clarified that they could put these bins on wheels. And so they were doing their own internal material handling, freeing up this poor forklift driver who was always behind freeing him up to serve the rest of the plant. And when I came in and I looked at their work, I discovered at the very top of the line where the forklift driver left the bin, he was still doing the external move, moving it into the the area, into the cell, I discovered something that looked like a border on top of a border. I eventually called it the double border function, and it became a principle of smart placement. But the first time I saw it was a border. It was like a cross, a very fat cross with just the bordering showing. But there were two rectangles sitting on top of each other, kind of like a cross at a, at a very definite angle from each other. As though two things could sp- sit on that same spot at the same time, defying the laws of physics, double border. And I looked at it and I thought, what the heck could that be? It took me a little while to realize that it was a positioning device, a a positioning um, construct. 
that this was for positioning things, the same thing in two different ways. And I wondered what those two ways were. And I thought, well, maybe one way is for good parts and the other one is for bad parts. Or one way is for ready and the other way was for not ready. Or one way was for incoming and the other way was for outgoing. And you would just put the bin down in either position to indicate incoming or outgoing. But then I said, that doesn't make sense because it's at the top of the stream. It's at the top of the cell. And then I thought, well, maybe it's model A, model B, or left-handed, right-handed, or something like that, a part that's left side or right side. And I thought about it and thought about it, and I looked at it, and I thought, wow, i got to find out. And the address had not been put into place yet. I had just set it down, and they had yet to put the address in place. So I asked one, I said, what is this, and who thought of it? And they said, Gary thought of it. Gary thought of it, said I. Gary worked at the exact opposite end of the cell. What? 50 yards away. 50 yards away. That's where he worked. And I thought, why would he put this in place? So I went over to see Gary. I said, Gary, I love what you did, but I don't understand it. What is this one border on top of another at slight angles? And he said, you know, I love this visual stuff. It really helps me. I'm doing a great job. But the thing is, the model changes from not every now and again. And I never know until the part reaches me. And then I have to do my changeover. They had not yet done lean. This was back in the 1990s. But what I asked the guys to do at the top of the stream, at the top of the cell, is I said, could I put this two borders on top of another so that when model A comes in, so to speak, model A was actually the PTR 26A, I'd be able to know it at a glance at a distance. And when the PTR 26B comes in, I'd be able to know that and I'll have my tools ready and I'll know there's a change coming down the line. And the guy said, sure. And I thought, wow. Wow, this guy really owns the process and he is making sure that his information deficits are reduced as much as possible. Because he had a question. When is the changeover coming? When is this new model going to arrive for me? Now, there are other ways of doing it. You can put flags and special bin, blah, blah, blah. But he came up with this. But more than coming up with a solution for his own problem, what he did in taking care of his own local need is open conceptually a doorway to greater, greater in applications. Greater and greater applications that I've been showing for the last, I think it's 20 years now, very close to 20 years, to people all over the world. And they've been coming up with applications of their own, and we have a name for it now. It's called the double border function, where you're using borders kind of like dimensionally, like a three-dimensional chess in order to reveal more about the information that's needed, the product, the process, the timing, and certainly the placement. I'm going to give you two more examples so you get this a little bit more strongly. The folks at World Nautobahn Trailers in Holland used this to very, very great effect. It was an assembly plant, and they used it in particular in fabrication and in particular in final assembly, in Afbau. They had two borders running along 
they would have they would lay the, I should say they would lay the large footprint border for in final assembly, but then they would have a, another border that was sitting at an angle over it for something that needed to be done at the beginning of the process before the larger footprint was filled. And they simply made a border for it. And when the larger footprint was filled, when, for example, the trailer was getting its final assembly process, electrical harness or whatever, that first border would be covered over. But you would be able to see time because of that double bordering. You would be able to see the sequence of work content because of that double bordering. It was all there. It was captured. It was captured in the floor itself. Another application was very simple. It was by a woman named Frances who worked in the offices, and she saw the double border function, and she said, aha, I know exactly where to use that. I didn't notice it at the time, except that I saw that she had a border around her phone, and then like a border for a pencil that came out like little wings on either side. So I thought, I said, boy, that Francis, she's getting really too intense about this visual stuff because she's got a little place for her pencil. I think this is getting out of hand. And it just flew through my mind. I didn't make much of it. Until later in the day, this was in the 1990s before cell phones, I said to Frances, I need to call the office. Could I use your phone? I sat next to her desk, and you know what she did? She picked up the phone. She turned it to face me. She used exactly the double border function that Gary had created, but she was using it in a very micro way for her phone because of her, may I say, obsessive sense of order. (laughs) Her obsessive sense of order. But she still loved it, and she did it. And I want to say something else. Contrary to popular belief, as we see here with Francis, who worked in the office, seeing examples from other venues and industries and other parts of the plant can actually help us better understand the principles of visuality than if we restrict ourselves to the same industry, same Venue solutions, office, office, production floor, production floor, machine shop, machine shop, hospital, hospital. Because what happens is you start thinking about expanding your own concept and seeing where these principles of application can help you. And then you create great examples of your own. Now, Francis thought her example was great. I myself thought it was sick, you know, and I said, you know, Francis, that is sick. However, I've pursued it with the next sentence, which was, can I take some pictures? So she knew I was very, very impressed. The last example of double border function also happened at Royal Nautobahm Trailers, and this was fantastic. I hope I describe it well. A very fine person named Victor worked with Jean on uh, welding his chassis, and they were very short on space. They were really cramped into a corner. And as I started working with this concept of double bordering, Jean and Victor had this idea that the content that needed to find a home through a border arrived sequentially. So I saw this, I walked to a corner and I saw this big orange border, that was their color coding, the Dutch love orange, that's their national color, 
big orange border. But inside that orange border to the upper corner was another border. It was a dashed border, another orange border, slightly offset. And in that orange border was a fixture with the axle and wheel assembly, the bogey assembly. It was just occupying the upper corner. And I said to Victor, I said, Victor, I see it, but I don't understand it. What's going on here? And he said this, and I hope you get this because this is fabulous thinking. He said, you know, Gwendolyn, as we began to work with borders and we saw that double border function that Gary did and also then Francis, we said, you know, we could take that principle and use it in this corner because sometimes we have a lot, meaning a lot of material, and that was the large outside orange border, but sometimes we have a little. And that was the smaller inside border where the bogies, bogey assemblies were. Sometimes we have a lot. Sometimes we have a little. But we never have a lot and a little at the same time. So we can use the same space. We never have a lot and a little at the same time so we can use the same space. In other words, we have the need for a large, a need for a, lar- a small sequentially. Not simultaneously. So we don't have to have a separate space. We can use the same space for two different things. We can double up. And this is the power of borders. There are many, many, many other examples, many examples that I'm going to resist describing to you so we can get on to color coding the way I promised for today. But I hope I'm describing this. All you have to do is you make a triangle And then you set a triangle going across it, right across it, so it's kind of like a um, red cross um, plus sign, you know, red cross cross. And you'll get the idea, only things are being occupied in different directions, then slightly offset them. That's the Gary's Gary's application. Victor's is, and, and Francis's was approximately that. Victor's is taking a square and putting another square inside the upper left-hand corner. Dash the line so you can easily see the difference between dash and solid. And use it for something that happens in the sequence of your work content that has a smaller footprint. Is this exciting or what? I mean, is this this marvelous? And, you know, I explain this stuff 50, 60, 70, 100 times a year, and I never grow tired of the ingenuity and the inventiveness of it and the peculiarity of it. I told you this the other day, did I not? We measure operator visuality with two metrics only, the utilization of improvement time and the weird factor. We look for weird, peculiar visual devices that have never been seen on the planet before, and when we find them, as I described here with Francis, Victor, and Gary... We know the implementation has juice. We know that it has an internal integrity and an internal juice, life, that will keep it going, that will keep the pursuit and the destruction of information, the elimination of information deficits, a a vital interest to the people who are are doing it. Mm -hmm. This is the weird factor. It's very, very important. Okay, we're going into another break now. Matt has told me twice, and we are. Uh, I'll be back in a minute, and I'm going to start the color coding stuff. We'll be talking about getting ready to border and then color coding. See you in a minute.
business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call one 866 472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, hi, it's Gwendolyn. And I'm waiting for you to call in. 866-472-5790. Now, I know many of you are listening to this by podcast, we have about 60,000 people a month listening to podcasts and fewer who actually tune into the live show. But you're still out there, hundreds and hundreds of you. And I'd love to hear your voices. I'd love to have a conversation with you. I'd love to hear your, your own victories and your challenges. I'd love to do a diagnosis over the phone and describe ways that I found uh, that could help you on some of your challenges and hear what you found. I'd love to have a, a, a more complete connection with you who are listening. I'm thrilled that you're listening. I'd be more thrilled if I could be listening to you as well. Okay, we're going to now go into border exaltation, color-coded borders. We color-code borders in order to strengthen, to reinforce the address portion of the visual wear. Properly speaking, I could have waited until we begin our series of shows on addresses, and there'll be two or three of them, following borders. I could have waited until then to bring up color-coded borders, but I know that most of you see color coding as a border function, which is incorrect. It is an address function. So I'm placing it here, and I'll mention it again when we go into addresses. It is an address function, and this is one of the biggest mistakes that companies make. They will color code and allow the color code to take the place of addresses, and as a result, you have diminished by 70, 80, 90 percent the effectiveness of what addresses can bring to the retrievability the traceability, the stability of your production process. 
because without addresses, we can only guess at the identity of that which is inside. There is a difference between scrap and rework. There is a difference between scrap, rework, and on hold. And if you use red for all of them, you understand what the implications of that are and you understand the mistakes that are embedded. That's just one example. So when we use color coding for borders, we are using them not as addresses, but in order to strengthen the address. Color coding is a form of address. Okay? Now I'm going to give you the color, the procedure that we use for vetting color coded borders. But I want to say a few things about color coding. Some of this you already know. Color coding is great and a lot of people get excited about it because it shares information, it appears to share information with great accuracy, very flex, very um, precisely it appears to, and also flexibly gives you wide, wide ranges of application. But in truth, because we know that on average 12 out of 100 men are some degree of colorblind, Color coding is often a limitation that creates mistakes. And by the way, the, the color, color blindness happens in the green and red spectrum. Now, isn't that a kick in the head? The very two colors that we use to make the sharpest of difference, green versus red, are the two colors that shift into a kind of dullness doesn't shift into gray, but it'll sh- shift into a very kind of dull red and a dull green, not distinctive at all, when a person is colorblind, depending on the degree of colorblindness. In women, it's about three out of a hundred. And I remember in one particular plant, this is Freudenberg NOK in Cleveland, Georgia, they had created this great color code system for matching up parts to a machine. Hey, bring these green parts over to that green machine. Hey, bring these pink parts over to the pink machine. Bring these red parts over to the red machine. It worked really, really well until it failed. And it failed, people discovered, because it just so happened in that part of Georgia, there was a higher percentage than usual of men and women who had some degree of colorblindness. And they were ready to give up the system. But look at what happens when we have an inventive approach to our information deficits because there was an information deficit. We could not tell the difference between parts. We got the parts mixed up because what we were using as an identifier, the green and the red, the colors, were not distinctive enough. And they were ready to give up on this whole system that had solved so much of the complexity that was in this plant, which was doing small parts. And there was a meeting and everybody was gathered around, the engineers and the operators and the supervisors, and people were just sad. Oh, no, we're going to have to give it up. So they just took a moment and they said, you know, before we give it up, does anybody have an idea that anything that might help us save this? And, of course, there was that slow, quiet pause, and you knew it's hopeless. But one engineer raised his hand, and he said, you know, I don't know. I'm going to say something, and maybe this sounds silly, but my little daughter 
Tanya. She's three. She's a toddler. She came to me this morning, and she was wearing an alligator with a rabbit. Everybody in the room understood immediately what he meant. People who don't live in the United States do not understand at all what was meant, but everybody in the room said, flash this name flashed in front of them, Grabbles. And for the people who don't have toddlers in the United States, don't live for whatever, Granables is little outfits for, for toddlers when you want your kid to look pretty decent when you take them out in public. And all the kid has to do is match up the animals and they'll have a matching outfit. So you match the rabbit with the rabbit, the alligator with the alligator, the elephant with the elephant, and the kid looks good. So little Tanya came down to breakfast and she had an alligator with a rabbit. And I said to her, honey, just go up and put the rabbit with the rabbit or the alligator with the alligator. And she did. And so the guy looks around and he says, I don't know, does that, does that? And, you know, everybody went bingo. They got it. What we have to do instead of using color is use something else that matches up in a very reliable, predictable, universal way. So what they did was they took an animal, like a dog, and one half of the ticket was the dog's head, and the other half of the ticket was the dog's behind, his, you know, his second half, his back legs and his tail. And they developed, they substituted for color this kind of granimal-like, this animal system. The only thing you had to make sure was that the rear end looked distinctly different. So you'd have rabbits and alligators, you would have doggies, you would have cats, you would have turtles. Split them in half, you don't match up the end of a turtle with the front of a cat. And it worked. So the color coding was there in um, function, if not in color. Isn't that a wonderful story? Let me say something else about, I got a few, quite a few agenda items here, I'm just going to, I'm just going through them all. So, so that's color coding. You get the match. I want to say also that you can use color to simply help the eye remember. I remember an engineer was working with a team, and his job was to make a differentiation between parts where there was very little differentiation except some was small, some was large. But there was no commonality of nomenclature or specifications. So we talked about it. And I said to him what I just said to you. Think about using color, bands of color, to simply help the eye remember what is the correct placement, where to locate one part versus another. And so what he did was he made a board. It was about 24 inches by 30 inches. And it previously held these parts that you could simply select. But instead of using, he did have addresses on it, but instead of just relying on the address, he put bands of color. He went yellow, red, green, blue. And then he watched what happened, and he saw that people much more quickly picked out and put back these parts. They were um, kind of a machine, uh, machine bits in the correct place with barely a second thought because the color helped them remember. And he said, and I heard somebody say, hey, it's in the blue band. No, 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 the blue one. 
Yeah, that's it. So it just helped to locate. That's not exactly color coding, but that's using color and it is useful. Let's talk a moment about high contrast side by side colored tape. Sometimes it's painted on. You know, the um, red on black, magenta on black, white on black, yellow on black. High contrast colors. Let's talk about their use. Because here is an application of color-coded borders that can sometimes get you into trouble. ANSI and OSHA, which for folks who aren't in the United States are regulatory agencies for health and safety and industry, they have standards. They have requirements about color combination, but in high-risk areas. But for other areas, non-high risk, they simply have guidelines, guidelines that are not requirements. But what I see happen again and again is that companies will use these high contrast colors, black and white, yellow and, and black, not because there's high risk, but just because OSHA has said, hey, you can use this for aisles, hey, you can use this for um, this kind of situation or that kind of situation. But they're not requirements. And in general, these high contrast double colored tapes are overused entirely and there is a danger in them. And here is the danger. The problem of high contrast double colored borders is that they are designed so that the eye cannot rest on them. They are designed, these colors are put together so that the eye cannot focus. The eye looks, the colors vibrate, the eye cannot focus. What happens is when the eye can't focus, the mind is disturbed. When the mind is disturbed, the body goes into a state of alert. might be mild alert, it might be strong alert. But it goes into alert because the mind is disturbed. The mind is disturbed because the eye is disturbed and the eye is intentionally disturbed because these colors are meant to vibrate together. So when you use them for applications that are not high risk, for example, aisles, people go around and they're disturbed, slightly disturbed all the time. They get irritable. Their eyes can't rest. They're nervous, they don't know why. It becomes dangerous. It goes exactly opposite of what should be happening when we put down borders for safety. Okay? So I'm saying where it's required, the magenta and black, the red and black, yes. But where it's a guideline, I would say use double colored borders tape very, very infrequently. Very infrequently. Disturb the eye, disturb the mind. Get our attention, we pay attention, we feel in danger. But let's be in danger for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. You know, I saw this once around a hand truck, a black and yellow tape around a hand truck. I'm walking by and I say, wait a minute, I know that hand truck. I know his entire family. These are really fine people, fine hand trucks, polite, well-mannered. There is not a chance in the world that when I walk by, that hand truck truck is going to jump up and throttle me. 
And that broom over in the corner, I know their family as well. They live right down the street. These are very, very nicely behaved workplace items. No danger. Why do they have black and yellow tape around them? Why not just yellow tape? There's no danger here. Do you see what I mean? <laughs> you see what I mean? <laughs> okay, we're going into a break. I'm late for the break again. And I'll see you in a minute, and we will begin the process of preparing the floors to apply borders. We'll get to color coding next week. Kim, I promised you it was going to be today, but you'll have to tune in next week. She just emailed today and said, I want to know about color-coded borders. I'll see you in a minute. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, it's Gwendolyn. Welcome back to the fourth and final segment of our show. And I'll tell you right now, I've done it again. I've been very naughty. I have told my stories. Joe wrote to me about this in my first three shows, and he said, Gwendolyn, will you get to the point? And I said, I'll try to do better, but I apparently am going in the wrong direction because we're not going to have time this week to complete borders. We'll do it next week. I'll be able to begin to talk about the um, getting ready to actually lay down the borders and then vetting your color code system. But I'll get into the detail next week, and I promise you it will be worth it. It's just that this radio show is my secret pleasure. I love doing it, and I want to tell you everything. I want to tell you the highs, the lows, the differences, the stories. I want to tell you what my experience is. I want to, you know, share too much. So I apologize. Le- but I'm still having the time of my life. This is a blast. So let's talk about applying borders and following a process. You know by now that borders, not lines, borders are powerful and that they will anchor the operational functions in your area, in your company. They will make them knowable to everyone. You can build in time. You can build in work content sequence. Borders perform. They can be operationally and cosmetically beautiful. I like to say laying down the lines, laying down the law. You're laying down 
specifications. So there's so much that one needs to know about laying down borders, but I want to give you kind of broad, uh, broad things to think about. First of all, your floor, you have to understand the kind of floor you have. Is it concrete, stone, wood? Is it epoxy? And then you have to begin to experiment with border material. Paint, oil versus latex, paint plus sealant, striping paint, which is a very light paint that you just kind of roll into place, vinyl tape, electrostatic tape, floor mark, which our friends at Visual Workplace Inc. Um, produce, really, really cool, instead of breaking the floor mark, uh, tape spreads and takes the weight instead of tearing. Then there's Durastripe, which is a little bit thicker. Okay? So it's very important because there are many choices. There are also many decisions. So you, before you decide on an approach or buy anything, you have to get educated. Contact a reputable supplier. So you do the research and you verify the right approach by actually doing experiments on your floor. So let's talk about the process. The floor has to be clean, very clean. If your floors are concrete and your operations are greasy, you may may have to go over the floor twice or three times with an industrial strength degreaser and then follow it with a heavy-duty, solvent-based industrial cleaner. You can spend 50% of the time just getting the paint, the floor clean enough to either hold paint, which is probably what's going to happen if it's that kind of a floor, but you have to do much the same thing with tape. So let's talk about paint first. With paint, we recommend strongly, unless there are reasons not to, and I might have an opportunity before the end of the show to tell you one case where you don't use uh, paint with sealant, use paint with sealant. Spray cans of traffic paint are easy to apply, but they covered, get covered with dirt and grime really, really fast, within hours, if you have heavy forklift tra- traffic. Because when you lay down borders, you have to also think about maintaining them. So normally, you will use a coat of latex paint, you'll let it cure, you'll lay down a second coat, you'll let it cure, You'll put a urethane sealant on it, you'll let it cure, and you'll put a second coat. These kinds of borders have lasted up to 18 months in heavy, heavy forklift traffic, but the floor has to be really, really clean. So that's one consideration. Sometimes if you lay the um, latex paint too thickly, it will simply come up like a piece of rubber. If you apply oil sealant over oil-based paint, it may bubble. So get to your paint dealer and find out what really, really works. Okay? So the latex... So I'm getting signals from Matt that I've completely blown the agenda and that I'm going to have to get ready to say goodbye. One of the other things that we find is that we often experiment with masking tape or duct tape to make sure that the um, bordering that we conceived of, that we thought of in smart placement really holds up. So you can do that to begin with. 
But when it comes down time to paint, we normally put two rows spaced apart, two rows of masking tape, and then fill in the middle. And then when it's very well cured, when everything is done, we carefully pull up that tape. If you pull it up too soon, you'll pull up the paint as well. In general, we use, we leave, no matter what you use, three to four inches between the item itself and the paint or the tape so that you don't have to have exact placement. But this also goes for things that don't move, for your machinery and anything that's bolted in. So always leave a little bit of breathing room. On surfaces, it's usually an inch, an inch and a half. On the floor, it's usually three or four inches. So I know what, I'm out of time. I'm so sorry. I'm going to do a much better job for you next week. But I had a great time with you today, and I hope that you learned something that you can use, and I hope you come back next week, and we will do the color-coded. What what I'm going to do is walk you through the process of vetting your color-coding system. This is something that's never been done by anyone else that I know of, but I found it to be very, very important, and I think it's going to be uh, a very, very important show for you if you are, especially if you are at the beginning of your bordering process. Thank you very much for joining me. I had a wonderful time, and I'm going to sign off now. In fact, this is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I am signing off. See you the next time. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galesworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.